You know, the last few weeks, and there's been a lot happening in the last few weeks, the fires, the the wind and the sand and everything else. And the last few weeks here at church, we've been praying for, for Eric Sankey. Eric is here this morning. Eric, would you mind standing up? I'm going to embarrass him to death. But I always like to have prayers being answered and that you recognize that the prayers have been answered. And Keep praying for Eric. Pray for, for Reuben. Reuben is the one that is in charge of our Spanish group that meets over in the little building. And uh, he's the head elder over there, and he is really sick. Um, has been in the hospital. His wife had to drive him through all that wind to the hospital. And she doesn't drive that much. And she had to fight with that pickup truck that Reuben, that old one, to fight that wind. She said sometimes the sand was blowing across like drifting snow in some places, but they made it. And Reuben is out of the hospital. He's home, but uh, still having to recuperate. So please remember Reuben in prayer. Some have been asking about the fires and uh, the type of damage is taking place. Of course, we've been watching all of CNN and everything else. Got word from the conference that uh, most of the pastors that lived that have churches in northern San Diego County have had to evacuate their homes. And a lot of the churches, they had to, couldn't hold any functions. They had to evacuate some of the churches. San Pasquale Academy, 50% of the buildings there burned. Um, so it was a terrible fire. And it was, of course, you know that we sold the academy uh, uh, quite a few years ago, and someone else has it, but still, it's still a part of a lot of your hearts uh, who may even be alumni or know of individuals who are alumni there. And it's just terrible to have these things take place. The church did not burn. Came close. Um, you know what? I think Jesus is coming soon. Uh, they've been having a series that I've been watching on, on CNN lately about uh, the perils of, of the earth, things that are happening in the earth. They made a statement. Now remember that they're basing this on science, but they made a, a statement that they said that the rate that the world is going with all the pollution from fires and everything else and the global warming and all that, that by the year 2050, 2050, we will probably have destroyed the world. That's not very far off. I hope that Jesus comes before the world is destroyed by pollution. But it just goes to show that we're living in times that the prophets wish that they could have lived in, that they prophesied that said it was going to happen. And it's happening right before us. And that means one thing. we got to be ready because Jesus is coming. Your families have to be ready because Jesus is coming. Your neighbors have to be ready because Jesus is coming. 
The strangers have to be ready because Jesus is coming. That's why we're looking at this series on, on grace because I, one of the things that we are saved, it's, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. It's interesting that Ellen White talks about that word through faith. She says you're not saved by your faith, you're saved by the grace which enhances your faith. And so we have to look and we have to discover this grace of God because it's really important. And we've been looking in the past few weeks of individuals who have learned by various ways, and you can call it experiential knowledge. I call it the school of hard knocks. Someone told me it was uh, Christianity for dummies. But we all learn in different ways about the grace of God. And we looked at Jacob, and Jacob had to actually wrestle with God before he discovered and believed in, in the promises that God had given to him 20 years earlier. Some of us have to literally mentally wrestle with God about our Christianity. We, we took a look last week at Noah. Noah had the knowledge of grace passed down to him starting with his great-grandfather, and it was passed down to his grandfather, to his father, and then to him. And he learned about the grace of God, but after the ark was built and all the animals were on, Noah had to make a decision based on the grace of God, am I going to enter into the ark, or is this the most ridiculous thing in the world? Because it's based on nothing that had ever happened before. Never had this rain like he was talking about was going to come. Never was there a body of water to float the ark upon. But I, he had to take, and what he had was to learn, but it was passed down to him the grace of God. And then he had to say, by faith, I and my family are going to step into the ark. And even after they stepped into the ark, it was still another seven days before any drop of rain started to fall. And you know, sometimes when things don't happen right away, we begin to doubt. We begin to say, hey God, why you got me in here with all these smelly animals? What's happening in this world today? Well, he's making sure he wants to go beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was no one else that was going to change their mind and get in that ark with them. And then by the grace of God, those who were in the ark were saved. Those who were outside of the ark were destroyed, but it was their choice because they had 120 years to hear of the message that was coming. Actually, they had more than 120 years because we discovered that Noah's great-grandfather had already received the message from God that there was going to be a flood. And so that message was preached for a long time, just like the message of the second coming of Jesus has been preached for a long time. But the Bible says that in the end days there were going to be scoffers. They were going to sit there and say, Oh, my grandfather has said that. My, my grandfather, my father, all these generations have always been talking about the second coming of Jesus. He hasn't come yet, and he won't come in my lifetime. Those are the ones that are going to be lost. Because the signs are all being fulfilled around us so rapidly like the birth pains that we studied in our Sabbath school lesson that are coming in not only stronger but in a shorter period of times between these things. Next thing we know is going to be the delivery. 
the delivery of Jesus Christ in the clouds to come and take his people home. So we've got to learn about this grace. Today we're going to take a look at another individual found in the Bible who learned about God's grace by a different experience. Again, we're all going to experience what I, how I experience grace is going to be different than how you experience grace. I experience grace by class, the hardest class I ever took in the seminary. The professor was Hans Laurendell, and I'll never forget it came to the, to the midterm test. He only gave two tests, midterm and final. You always hate those classes because you better do well or you'll mess up royally. On the midterm test, 90% of us students flunked his test. That's how hard it was. And it was on the Christ on the cross. You would think that pastors would be, it's just the way he words tests. It's not so much the, the information, it's the way he worded it. It was really tricky. But I went in and I spoke to him and I said, Dr. Laurendell, I want you to know something. This has got to have been the hardest test I've ever taken in my life, but I want you to know I discovered the grace of God in your class from what you're teaching. He said, oh, really? And I said, yes. He said, don't worry about the final. You'll pass the final. I passed. I don't know if he did something or what happened, but by the grace of God, I passed the final. By the way, 50% of those that took the final flunked the final as well, too. They were hurting. But that's where I discovered grace was by an exam, by the class that I was taking. It could be a class that you might be taking. It could be something that is happening in your life that you discover the grace of God where you're totally out of control, but you see and you experience that God is in control. That happened to one such man. You see, he thought that he was doing God's will. He thought because of his training. I mean, since a, a young boy, he was, he was taken and, and taken to a special school. We'd probably call it an academy today. But this was such a special school that it wasn't open to everyone. Only chosen individuals could come to this school and to learn. And the basic things that they learned was, number one was the, the subject matter of the Torah. Do you know what the Torah is? First five books of the Bible is called the Torah. It, it's the law. And the emphasis was on the law, not so much on God as it was the law. And so he studied hard about the Torah, about the law of God, how to carry out God's will. And then the second thing they studied was Greek philosophy. Boy, what an opposite. Greek philosophy and the law. But they studied both hand in hand within it. And because of this study, these young men became leaders within the church. Their job was to protect the, the Jewish beliefs from heretics because there were a lot of heretics that were coming in and trying to come up with their own ideas and their own thinking. And so these individuals were to protect the Jewish beliefs. They were the, the policemen of the church. 
They were the ones that was going to make sure that nothing is going to destroy this. So they knew that they were doing the will of God. In fact, it's interesting that this gentleman, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. He kept the law so meticulously that he was doing everything right. It's kind of like the rich young ruler that says, you know, I've kept all the laws when Jesus said, you know, you've you got to keep the laws of God in order to enter into heaven. He says, I've kept them all. So did this man. He kept them all. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. But he had a problem. He had a major problem. He was missing something. There was something inside of him that just wasn't quite right. And he didn't discover that until there was a Christian that was stoned for his belief. You know who I'm talking about? Stephen and this man that was there that was holding the, the, the coats and everything of everyone that was stoning Stephen was a man by the name of Saul from Tarsus. When you mention the name Saul from Tarsus, everybody began to shake. It would be like going to Germany shortly after World War II and mention the name Adolf Hitler to the Jews that were living there, they'd start to shake. Saul of Tarsus. And he was there with Stephen, and he watched them, and he, he heard the beautiful prayer and saw Stephen look up into heaven and saw a change come over Stephen. A change like he saw something that no one else had seen. Guess who he saw? He saw Jesus. You know, it's interesting in the book, The Acts of the Apostles, read it sometime. It says that Saul, when he was there, was convicted in his heart that Jesus was the Messiah. It also says that he was not only convicted and it bothered him so much because that's who he was persecuting were individuals who were Christians who believed in Jesus as the, as the Messiah. Now he's got a conflict because he's protecting the Jewish faith. They did not see Jesus as the Messiah. Now he's convicted. What am I going to do? And he wrestled with that until he went to his, his peers, his, those in the Sanhedrin, and he says, what's going on here? And they convinced him that Jesus was not the Messiah, and he got so angry that he was fooled that he went out to make sure that these Christians not only were caught, but they were killed for their belief. And so it's because of this that he was going one day to the city of Damascus because he was ground for evangelism, for Christianity. And there were a lot of big pocket of believers that lived in Damascus. And he was going to go and get rid of those people who deceived, he thought. And then he gets just a few miles from Damascus. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, and we want to start with verse 9. This is his story. 
Acts chapter 26, beginning with verse 9. Chapter 26, Acts 26, beginning with verse 9. Paul says, Saul, that's his name then. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blasphemy. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You get the picture? He's angry. But he's protecting the church. That's the will of God. Protect the church at any cost. You can't fault him for doing what he thought was right. So Saul took it upon himself to try to stop this fast-moving heresy as he believed it to be. He's going to get rid of these individuals. Look what he says now takes place, starting with verse 13. At midday, about noon, sun is shining bright. About midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we, had, when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, now listen, he said very clearly, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which have been, which have, you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Can you imagine that? The light shined around he and his companions as they're traveling. Isn't it interesting that the blindness only struck Saul didn't strike the others? The others heard the voice, but they couldn't understand the voice. Saul understood the voice. And he heard it very clearly, you're persecuting me, 
I am Jesus Christ. Christ means I am Jesus, the Messiah. Now this once strong, blusterous, feared man who would come in and grab Christians and drag them out is one that now is blind, unprotected, and fragile. At this point, any enemy could come and easily take advantage of Saul in his weakened condition. Think about it for a moment. The hands that once held the garments of those throwing stones at Stephen are now thrust out and groping around in the air because he can't see and he doesn't know what's in front of him. It is so bad that the other friends of his who were confused as to what's going on because they couldn't understand the words and here he once he could see and now he's totally blind and now they've got to grab him like a little child by the hands and lead him into Damascus because he's totally blind. He cannot see a thing. Everything is dark in front of him. What do you think he thought at this point? Not being able to see. You know what the Jewish thinking is? Is that when something terrible happens to you, you're being punished by God. And now he hears and he remembers. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And then he thinks, oh man, think of all the people that I have persecuted and drug out. Think of the people I've cast the vote on. Kill them, kill them, and Jesus, and I'm actually killing Jesus, is what he's thinking. Could Jesus ever forgive me? Evidently not, because he struck me blind. was led into Damascus. But he wasn't killed. You see, Saul was entering into the experiential knowledge of grace. And now in this state of blindness, Nothing else he can do. He can't eat or drink, the Bible says. It bothered him so much. For the next three days, all he could remember were scriptures that he had learned. And then he realized that Jesus was the fulfillment of all those scriptures. It became clear to him that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And no wonder Jesus says when you're persecuting and you're killing all those others and torturing all those others, you're doing it to me. He's saying, I am persecuting Jesus, the one we've always looked for, but never recognized. Jesus could have killed him, couldn't he? But by the grace of God, he gave him life. And pretty soon there was a prophet that came to him. 
and came to him. And when he came, all of a sudden the blindness disappeared. You see, Jesus is not out to punish. He's out to teach and to save. And all of a sudden now, Saul, by the way, Jesus changed his name to Paul, probably on a witness protection plan, changed his name and said, you are now going to go in and you're going to share the everlasting gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. You know what Jesus is asking him to do? He's got to go in and share with the Jews who do not want it to hear that Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to have to be around Christians who are afraid of him because he's persecuted. It seems impossible, but by the grace of God, nothing is impossible. So Saul began to share the messages. And he carefully chose the words that came out of his mouth. I want you to look. Acts 26, we're still there. Verses 17 and 18. Here's the promise that Jesus said to him, I'm going to deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. He's got a mission. By the grace of God, you have a mission to do. And here's the mission, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness of sins, how can God forgive a sinner? That's what the Jewish thinking was, that if you're a sinner, you're going to be punished. You're not going to be forgiven. And then all of a sudden here is Saul who has persecuted and killed Christians. Could he ever forgive me? And Jesus says, your message is the message of forgiveness. You know why? I have forgiven you, Saul. You think you've done sins that God could never forgive you? Take a look at Saul. If Jesus can... can can forgive Saul for persecuting and killing Christians and doing all of this in the name of God, he can forgive you of your sins. Why? By the grace of God, you're forgiven. Not from what you have done. Remember, he's thinking, oh, I've done everything all right before that time. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with this persecution. I'm just protecting the church. And when Jesus came to him, he says, your whole message that you're doing, that you've been following, is false. Every bit of it. But I'm going to make you a true messenger. And I'm going to give you the words to preach. And when you preach those words, not only are you preaching from your heart of forgiveness, but it's going to bring hope to everyone else who thinks that God is out to punish them, not to forgive them. Remember, Jesus did not, God did not send His Son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. By the grace 
of God. He's not here to punish you. He is here to save you. Not because you've earned it. Not because you're perfect. But because He's God and He loves you. And you may not even understand that love yet. Did he take this message to heart? Again, listen to the play of words that this once blind individual who had eye problems, even after that he had eye problems every day following this encounter. But listen to what he said. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 and then verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Listen to his careful words as he's saying these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's a blind man who went blind because of a light and is going to take him out of darkness. And he did that. Notice the careful use of words. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. We won't look at, at, at uh, the other one, but it says the same thing. But look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Again, careful words. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18 the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Your eyes are going to understand. You notice that it took Him to, to hit blindness before He ever understood. But then, in His blindness, He used His spiritual eyes to, to think of those texts that He's known all of His life, and then to realize that they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Careful, chosen words, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 8. Ephesians 5 and verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. How could he say that except he was once in darkness, blinded? And then he saw the light. And he was able to walk then in the light by the grace of God. There are many texts that keeps going on and on and on. This is the man of God who was once groping around with untruth, thinking he was doing God's will, and God had to show him. He, he tried to do it with the stoning of Stephen, but he, he allowed, he allowed his, his peers, his friends, to convince him otherwise. Friends, let me tell you, you're never too old to have peers that are going to try to come in and convince you that the seventh day is not the Sabbath, that, that you're following the, the, the letter of the law and, you, and you're not following the love of God, and they're going to try to convince you that the church is all wrong. They're going to try to convince you everything. But let me tell you, they're the ones that's walking around in darkness because we have been shown the light not only have been shown the light about grace,
but we've been shown the light about the law. I don't keep the law because it's going to save me. I keep the law because the grace of God has changed my life. But peers can have a sway on you, and it had a sway on Saul. And it took a blindness to come in to, to strike him blind for three days for him to think. And sometimes you may have to go through something. It may be a physical ailment. It may be something that is just heart-rendering. It may be something that you can't sleep at nights. But it's probably the grace of God saying, let go of this world and let me be God. So this man of God, trained to protect the faith from heretics, now realizes he was the heretic. So now he begins to train a young minister. Look what he says, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. Here he is, has Timothy, young, young man wanting to learn to minister, and, and Paul now is going to share with him. And look what he says, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before times began. He's speaking from the heart, and he says, look, when I was doing it in my own power, I was killing the very ones that God was trying to lead. When I was doing it on my own power, I thought I was doing right when I was really a heretic. And he says, look, don't fall into that trap. By the grace of God, he has chosen us, not because of what we do, but because of the fact that he has chosen us, and by his grace, he's going to give us a ministry to do. He's going to give us the words to say. He's going to give us something to do that's going to change people's lives. The grace of God is to stop sinful mankind from doing, thinking, and believing the human ways of selfishness, hatred, sinfulness, and stubbornness. He's trying to be able to show that I am a God that's going to save you. You cannot save yourself. If you could save yourself, there was no need to send Jesus to come to this world. It's not what you do. It's what I'm doing from heaven to save you. And you've got to stop and believe that. And that's what you've got to share with the world. Well, he continues his, his teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. Look what he says about himself. Starting with verse 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now look what it says in the next verse. And, but you can put the word but. But the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. However, 
For this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He says, I, he says, I am the chief of sinners. I should never be forgiven because of the persecution, because of the death of Christians. God should never forgive me, but by his grace he has forgiven me, and he's using my life now of the change from what it used to be to what it is now by the grace of God to be able to change others. It's what people see how you act is going to determine on what they're going, whether they're going to see the grace of God or not. If you believe in the grace of God, it will just permeate out of you. People are going to see that. It's not Bible studies they're looking for. They're looking for something to fulfill the emptiness in their heart. That's what Saul was looking for when he saw Stephen. He says there's something that's not right. And when the grace of God comes in, there is a fulfillment that is just unbelievable. And people are going to see that and are going to be changed. You got my volume way up there. Can you? Okay. Okay. See, just at the right time. <laughs> Saul said, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, and remember Paul says I'm the chief, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That's Romans 5, 6 through 10. And then verse 17, it says, God's abundant provision of grace. He calls this, what he just explained in Romans, is God's grace. I am saved by the grace of God. I am changed by the grace of God. I have a message to share with others by the grace of God. I have a ministry by the grace of God. It is by God's grace, not by my power. Paul talks a lot about grace in his teachings. Hold on to your hats because he says grace brings peace with God, Romans 5 verse 1. Grace brings access to God, Romans 5 verse 2. Grace is a gift abound to many, Romans 5 verse 15. Grace reigns through righteousness to bring eternal life, Romans 5 verse 21. Grace chooses us, we do not choose him, Romans 11 verse 6. By the grace of God we are all given spiritual gifts, Romans 12 verse 6. Grace reconciles us to God through Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.18. Grace brings strength in times of weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Grace calls us, Galatians 1, verse 15. Grace adopts us, Ephesians 1, verse 5. Grace redeems us, Ephesians 1, verse 7. Grace saves us, Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 8. Grace rescues us. 
Colossians 1, verse 13. Grace is a lesson of God's love, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16. Grace makes us strong, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. Grace qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, Colossians 1, verse 12. Grace justifies us, Titus 3, verse 7. And if you think Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews, he said grace is our help in time of need, Hebrews 4, verse 36. I think he finally got it in his head that he is living a life by the grace of God. I hope he doesn't ever have to strike you blind to get you to see. But if that's the only way, then Lord, so be it. Now we have seen individuals that have discovered the grace of God in different ways. Some people can just read the Bible and they discover the grace of God and it changes their life. But there are some of us who have to be hit over the head with a tuba for before we can begin to see and to understand. But someone always says, but those were people way back then. How about now? Does God really reveal His grace to people now? Next week, we're going to have individuals whom you are sitting with in this church that are going to share how they discovered the grace of God. They tried to do things on their power and they totally failed. But when they discovered the grace of God, it changed their whole life. But in the meantime, we want to sing a hymn. Marvelous grace. You find it in hymn number 109. 109. Marvelous grace. As we sing that hymn, I want you to contemplate. Think about what has God shown to me about the grace, His grace. I, I don't want to earn it. I can't earn it. It's not what I'm doing. It's what He has done in, in my life. Let's sing about it. Hymn number 109. And nine. Should we stand as we sing together?
thank you, O God, for your grace. For if it wasn't your grace, we wouldn't have a hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, took upon his shoulders the sins of the world, and he died. That we, so we wouldn't be lost, but that through him we might be saved and have eternal life. It's not based on what we do, it's what he's already done. And by that grace, you have chosen us. We're not here by coincidence. You have chosen us to be your children, to be your remnant, to be able to share the grace that you have with a world that doesn't understand it, that's looking for something, and yet they can't seem to find it. What they're looking for is this grace. Make it real within our lives so that we can live that grace, the grace of Christ through our bodies to be able to reach the countless lost in this community is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.